It's the Happy Families Podcast. It's the podcast for the time-poor parent who just wants answers now. Hello, this is Dr. Justin Coulson. Thank you so much for joining me as we move towards the end of the school holidays. Uh, A little while ago, we did this really cool, really cool summit with Happy Families. It was called Little People, Big Feelings. And one of my favourite Americans, a lady by the name of Rini Jane, who runs a website that you might have heard of called Go Zen, with loads of fantastic resources. You have to check out Go Zen. Uh, Rini joined me on the Little People, Big Feelings Summit to talk about, well, anxiety and all those other big feelings that little kids have. I asked Rini about anxiety. I asked her, how do we define it? How do we see it in children, especially young kids under six? And here's what she said. I define it in a very lay way, which is a message that your body is sending you. And I know that doesn't sound like, hey, what does that mean, right? But that is the definition for me of any emotion. Your emotions, your feelings are essentially messengers. They're data points. They're pieces of communication. So anxiety is just one of those things. How it manifests in our little ones um, can be in many, many different ways. Most of the time, a child under the age of six is not going to say, I'm feeling anxious, right? We're going to see it uh, manifesting perhaps in a meltdown. Maybe they'll say, I, my tummy feels funny. Maybe they'll say I'm having a hard time sleeping. So there can be many, many manifestations of it. Um, but it is, it's a feeling, right? So anxiety, like many, many other feelings on the spectrum of human emotions is just another one of our feelings that appears. The fact that it's just this information coming through feelings to a child, some children get very, very anxious about their anxiety and some parents get very, very anxious about their children's anxiety. When does anxiety become a problem? Because the reality is all of our feelings kind of do exactly what you're talking about, right? They, they, they convey this information to us. Mm-hmm. But anxiety becomes problematic sometimes, and at other times, it's actually perfectly healthy. It's normal. It's actually functional rather than dysfunctional. Where's that line? How do we know? Yeah, so when we are not able to navigate through our feelings, so we're not able to actually process the worry that's when it becomes a problem. When it starts to interrupt our general functioning, when it starts to create disturbance to the point where we can't sleep, you know, or maybe not able to do our schoolwork, Um, we are complaining about it all the time. Maybe there are other manifestations such as anger or eruptions, you know, when it becomes, when it starts to interrupt our ability to function generally, then it starts to become a problem. But really the issue is, and sometimes it just sounds so simple, that it's like, that can't be the issue. I mean, the diagnosis is rampant, right? The problem is pervasive. It's a global epidemic, frankly, anxiety. But really the issue is their unprocessed emotions, right? We're having these flare-ups of worry and that triggers a flare-up of worry, as you said, Justin, within the parent. Oh my goodness, my child is worried. So now I'm worried. And so we start to do things like quash the worry, run away from the worry, ignore the worry, right? We, we don't sit with it. We don't listen to the message it's sending. We don't try to figure out, well, what signal am I getting? What should I do with this worry? We think it's something wrong with us. And so that's when it starts to become a problem, when it's not processed. 
there's so many different directions that I want to take that last comment. And I'm going to try to tease them apart bit by bit. The first thing that really stands out to me is you're talking about it's an unprocessed emotion. And yet for our little people, for our children, you know, children under five or six, they, I mean, every emotion is unprocessed, isn't it? They, they don't really have the developmental capacity to process their emotions. <laughs> you know what's so funny? I actually think they come into the world as, as masters at emotional processing. Because when you see a very young child, you will see that they can go from zero to 100, you know, in a moment. Like, sure. let's take an example of two siblings fighting with each other, right? They're fighting over a toy. They're yelling at each other. They're screaming. Maybe one of them's in the corner. And then three minutes later, they're best friends. That is the ultimate ability to process the emotion. The emotion actually comes into them. It's temporary. They feel it. They, they show it, right? So there's the manifestation of the emotion and then it passes. So for many of us, it is unprocessed because we don't allow it to pass. We don't allow the feeling to come in to ascend the message and then interact with it, right? There's no relationship, we basically try to ignore it or get rid of it. So I actually think in their own way, and I know what you're saying, you know, they don't know how to process these big feelings. They might not know what to do with them, but I feel like they can naturally process them if we as parents allow the space for it and then facilitate the processing. We're going to talk about the facilitation in just a sec, but I, I got to say what you've just described infuriates parents. Because it's like you, you kids were just throwing blocks at each other's heads. You know, you've got a three-year-old and a four-year-old try to beat each other up and they're biting and pulling hair and scratching. And it's, it's so frustrating for a parent. And the parent wants to do all this stuff. And literally 90 seconds later, these two kids are best friends again. They're hugging and they're playing and it's like it never happened. Um, <laughs> they've processed their emotions. <laughs> they've done their own conflict resolution. They've figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, our hair has turned completely gray. <laughs> right. They're in the moment. They're having the emotion and then they seem to move through it and, and get on with life. Like you said, we seem to want to sit with it. So I guess to, to, to pull the threads from the previous question, this one together and move to the practical stuff, a couple of times now, you've talked about this idea of allowing the emotion to be, of, of helping, well, I guess we've probably got to do a bit of work ourselves, but, but how do we, what are the mistakes that parents are making? Let's talk about the mistakes first and then how we can overcome those mistakes to get the kinds of outcomes that we're looking, that is balanced, ha happy uh, little people. Yeah. I mean, the first mistake that we make is we're taking probably for many, many of us, the training that we had as kids with our parents in assuming that there are a certain set of emotions that we need to see from our kids. We want them to be happy. We want them to be joyful. We want them to be grateful. We want them to be cheery. And when we see the other ones, we see anger and we see jealousy and we see worry and we see all of these other bad emotions, it scares us, right? And so we are afraid of half of the human spectrum of emotions, which is a problem, obviously. We don't see purpose in those emotions. And so as soon as we see it as a parent, we get triggered. 
we're triggered. And then with the triggering, you know, this can go in so many different directions. Sometimes we are catastrophic thinkers, not sometimes, oftentimes. Oh my goodness, my child is is worrying at this young age of under six. They're five years old and maybe they worry so much they have to sleep next to me at night and, you know, or they can't do something, they can't go to school or they don't want to socialize. And so how are they going to handle life? My goodness, catastrophic thinking goes in usually three directions. It ends up where your child is either going to be in jail on drugs or homeless, right? Like they're always, <laughs> my five-year-old can't sleep alone at night. So therefore, they're never going to get a job, right? So we go wrong in thinking that there's going to be some tragic ripple effect. And we are, again, based on our own conditioning of being scared of these big feelings, they make us incredibly uncomfortable. So the messaging that we're often sending to our kids with great intention, and trust me, I have a seven and eight-year-old, and they are very loud-spirited kids with big feelings, right? But the message we often send to our young ones is, listen, your big feelings, they're making me uncomfortable. I would like you to go into a calm down corner. You know, if we're very conscious, we're not putting them in timeout, we're, we're in a time in, right? And go get rid of those big feelings and come back when you have the feelings that I'm more comfortable with. So the first message that we need to send our kids is your feelings are valid. You know, I can hold space for them. I can handle them. I understand that when you're dysregulated, that you need me to lean on. You need my regulation. You need to borrow mine. But I can only do that if I'm able to stand strong in my own understanding that this is all okay. That's Rini Jane, the founder of Go Zen. You can find her online by doing a quick Google. Rini, R-E-N-E-E. Jane, J-A-I-N, Rini Jane from Go Zen. And that was the uh, a part of a conversation that we were having about little people and big feelings from the Little People Big Feelings Summit. If you'd like more information about how you can help your little people deal with their big feelings better, please check out the summit. Just Google happyfamilies.com.au and, and type in Little People Big Feelings. The summit will come up and you can grab hold of that for a load of really useful resources. Hey, uh, Kylie and I, we're back tomorrow as we move towards the end of our Happy Families Summit podcast series. See you then. Mm-hmm.